This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Liv Oath. It's the most wonderful time of the year because it's time for holiday recipes. But is baking in middle school a recipe for disaster? In a story about the search for the perfect caramel confection, Second Story is proud to present Vince Pagan. I was spread out on my bed filling out invitations for my 11th birthday party at Rainbow Roller Rink when my mom popped her head into my room and handed me a large red book. I ran my hand across the cover and the shiny letters that said Treasury of Christmas, the gold-leafed page edging and the never-cracked binding. Pushing the invitations aside, I opened it to the table of contents. Mom smiled and quietly left, leaving me to my own devices. Flipping through the pages, I stopped every so often on recipes like orange glazed carrots and roasted turkey with sage and hazelnut stuffing, but really beelining towards the sweets at the back of the book. I'd practically memorized our well-worn VHS of the everyday gourmets, chocolate, and other divine desserts, so I was overdue for some new source material. I was delighted to find tons of pudding, cookie, and cake recipes on the glossy pages, making my mouth water while I tried to decide which one I wanted to make first. The recipes used ingredients like buttermilk, pastry flour, and cream of tartar, and unfamiliar instructions like whip until stiff peaks form. I stopped on one of the recipes with a picture that took up a whole page. A handful of cookies that looked like the tiny versions of the empanadas grandma made for Christmas, except instead of meat, there was caramel oozing gently from the slits at the top. Not that many ingredients, I thought. Powdered sugar, butter, flour, caramel. Only a few instructions. But I definitely didn't want to wait for Christmas to make them. That was months away. And then I suddenly had the best idea ever. My family lived in Hermosa, a quiet neighborhood that most people have never heard of near Cicero and Diversi. Most of my classmates lived in neighborhoods like Edgewater, Rogers Park, and Lakeview. And because I lived so far away, very few classmates came to my birthday parties, even though I made a point to invite everyone every year. Most of my classmates' parents' jobs had parents had jobs like doctor, judge, or TV producer. I was the child of a physical therapy assistant and sheet steel factory worker who chose to have opposite schedules so that one of them would be home in the morning to take us to school, and the other would be home in the evening to take me and my sister to our various after-school things. My parents didn't know any of the other parents who came to all of the the during-the-day stuff at school, but even when they were there, I don't remember the other parents being very friendly. Before I learned to love my curly hair and brown skin, I was embarrassed of both. And the clear wage gap between many of my classmates' families and mine was just another thing to add to the list of things that made me different. Things that I could imagine my classmates were saying at recess and lunch when I saw them hanging out on the playground while I looked on from the perimeter with the few friends I had who did look like me. And as if all of this weren't enough, 
my birthday treat game was never up to snuff. See, at my grade school, each kid brought in treats for the class on their birthday, and the other kids and their parents showed up. Every year, like clockwork, Kate brought in cookies from Swedish Bakery, which people went out of their minds for. I had no idea what Swedish Bakery was, other than the obvious fact that it was Swedish and a bakery. One Halloween, Gabby brought in these little bread cream cheese things in the shapes of sugar skulls with raisins for eyes, which her mom obviously helped her with. Leslie once brought in lychee jellies from her trip to Thailand. Literally, how is anyone supposed to compete with that? And every year on October 6th, I rolled in with jewel cupcakes, a package of Oreos, or whatever mom or dad had time to grab for me before work or after school. These were treats that no one got excited about, which I blamed Leslie and her lychee jellies for. But not this year, I thought, stroking the glossy page and rereading the recipe. This year, I was gonna bring these cookies and knock their freaking socks off. Jenny Lee walked past me one day on her way to the bathroom. Hey Jenny, I said, you know, it's my birthday next Wednesday. That's cool, she said. What are you bringing for your birthday treat? Oh, just these cookies I'm making that are like mini coconut caramel pies. Caramel and coconut, huh? Hope it doesn't get stuck in my braces. She tossed her hair and walked away. She hoped it didn't get stuck in her braces which meant she was totally jazzed about my birthday treats, which meant that this plan was totally going to work. And since news travels fast in a fifth grade classroom, by the end of that day, everyone was expecting my delicious cookies. On the night of October 5th, mom gave me the ingredients, asked me to please not burn the house down, and left with Diana to go to ballet. I stood in front of the treasury of Christmas. My kitchen table filled edge to edge with everything I'd need to make the best birthday treats room 214 had ever seen. I got to work. Place flour, powdered sugar, baking powder, and salt in a large bowl. Stir to combine. <laughs> Simple enough, I said to myself. I carefully measured and combined the dry ingredients in one of the big bowls mom had taken down for me. My small hands were clumsier then than they are now, and soon I'd dropped half a cup of flour on the floor. Worry about it later and start on the butter before it melts, I said to myself. Cut butter into flour mixture with a pastry blender or two knives until mixture forms pea-sized pieces. Not knowing what a pastry blender was, I grabbed two butter knives, which seemed appropriate, and started to cut through the butter and flour. Not much was happening, but the butter pieces were getting smaller. Add ice water, one tablespoon at a time, toss with a fork until mixture holds together. I looked at the very dry pile of flour and butter chunks in the bowl in front of me and double-checked the amount of water. Six tablespoons. I was skeptical that this dribble of water was going to do much to turn this lumpy mess into dough, but I wasn't one to disobey instructions, so I carefully poured the water and started blending the dough together until I convinced myself that it would come together perfectly once it chilled. Divide dough in half, cover and refrigerate 30 minutes or until firm. Done. Nailed it. The first big step was finished. I checked the book. 
Meanwhile, melt caramels and milk in medium saucepan over low heat, stirring constantly. Stir in coconut, remove from heat, cool. I opened the bag of caramels and realized that each one was individually wrapped. Not sure how many I'd need, I unwrapped all of them, placing each one back into the bag when I was done. Adding the milk to the melted caramels, I stirred the pot's contents slowly, pulling the spoon out and setting it near the cookbook, dripping bits of milky caramel on its pages. Once I'd added the coconut, I was relieved to see that this at least looked exactly how I thought it should. And then I remembered the dough. It had been chilling for 45 minutes instead of the 30 that the book had said. I wondered if the extra 15 minutes in the fridge was the reason the dough had become a lump the consistency of a very soft boulder, or whether something had gone wrong in an earlier step, but I pressed on. I turned the dough out onto my very lightly floured surface and took the rolling pin to it, which promptly broke the lump in half and made one of the pieces crumble. Fix it later, Vinny, I said out loud to myself, wiping the sweat from my forehead. Get the first few done. Working with one portion at a time, roll out dough on lightly floured surface to one eighth inch thickness. I looked at the portion that hadn't turned back into butter, flour, and sugar bits. It didn't look very big, but I rolled it anyway. One eighth inch thickness. What is that, like this big? I mean, it did have to be thick enough to hold the filling. <laughs> Cut with three inch round cookie cutter. I looked at the one three-inch disc of dough that rolling it this big had gotten me and wondered how that was supposed to make two dozen cookies. It looked so dry that it might fall apart at any second. The more I tried to manipulate the dough to make it bigger, the more it fell apart. I went over to check on the caramel that I was supposed to be stirring constantly and it had stiffened at the bottom of the pan. I grabbed the other half bag of caramels to try again and realized that I'd grabbed it upside down when every last unwrapped caramel fell to the ground. I looked at the mess around me. Flour all over the tables and floors, puddles of caramel all over the stove, the remains of the other half of the dough crumbled and falling off the counter. It was 9.30. With no more caramel, half the butter I'd need, and a 10 o'clock bedtime, there was no way this was happening. I'd have to admit defeat and show up to school empty-handed. I cleaned up as much as I could and went to bed before mom and Diana got home from ballet. Two fewer people I'd have to tell that I'd failed. October 6th, my 11th birthday. I did not even want to get out of bed. My flour-dusted and caramel-dripped clothes were sitting on the ground next to me, a sad reminder of the night before. The ride to school was quiet. Mom must have told Dad that she saw mostly clean dishes and no cookies and a dough-like lump in the trash because he pulled into Jewel, went in, and came out with a couple of boxes of Little Debbie oatmeal pies, which, while delicious, <laughs> were a far cry from what I'd bragged about bringing the week before. At the end of the day, while my class sang happy birthday, I went to the coat closet and could feel 30 pairs of eyes on me. I gave the oatmeal pies to Miss Grant to hand out and sunk down into my seat. At the table behind me, I could hear someone whispering, I thought he was going to bring those cookies he was going to make. Yeah, Jenny Lee whispered back. I didn't think he was going to anyway. 
that night, mom, dad, and Diana sang happy birthday to me around a little cake with two one candles in it. I sat at the table surrounded by my family, wondering why I was going through the trouble of worrying about these people who, by the way, still didn't come to my birthday party, even when it was at Rainbow Roller Rink. What was I trying to prove? Before going to bed, I brushed most of the caramel and flower scraps off of the treasury of Christmas and put it on a shelf. Jewel cupcakes and Oreos continued to be the norm, and it would be more than a decade before I baked anything again. It's August 2017, and I'm sitting in front of a room of 11 to 13-year-olds telling them how I went from the cookie fiasco of 1999 to opening my own baking business almost 20 years later. Those kids were mean, one of the students says, and dumb. Those oatmeal pies are delicious. <laughs> yeah, it's not your fault your mom couldn't help you. Who else was gonna take your sister to ballet? You're right, I say. Eventually, I taught myself how to do it, and I'm very proud of that. One of the students interjects, did you ever make those cookies? I shake my head. A teacher asks why, and my heart sinks. I have no idea where the book is. Can't you make up a recipe? No, Jamal, he has to make those exact ones, duh. <laughs> Do you remember the last time you saw it? Obviously, if he knew that, he would remember where it was, Sarah. But suddenly, I do remember, and a couple of hours later, I'm in my best friend's living room, rummaging through a shelf. What is it that you're looking for? She asks me. I left it here that time in high school when we made Swedish meatballs for Grandma Betty's birthday. It's the size of a textbook. It's got gold-edged pages, and it says treasury of... There it is. Covered in dust and hiding behind a 20-year-old copy of a Tom Patterson novel exactly as I remember it. I start flipping through the pages. Orange glazed carrots, roasted turkey with sage and hazelnut stuffing, and on page 464, Argentinian caramel-filled crescents. The page is caked in little bits of caramel and flour. My holiday menu came out the day after Thanksgiving that year, and these cookies were right at the top. This story was curated by Earl McLaurin, produced by Gracie Meyer, directed by Chris Thorin, and music and sound designed by Allison Hines. The Second Story podcast is produced by me, Liv Oaf. Second Story is supported by the MacArthur Fund for Art and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, a City Arts Grant from the City of Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, our 2018 to 2019 season sponsor, Skadden, Arp, Slate, Meager, and Flome, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Liv Wolf, and this, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast.